Welcome everyone to the virtual coffee break with the MSU Extension Dairy Team. Our fifth season is winding down, but we still have great episodes to come, including today's episode. Dr. Victor Malaco meets Dr. Camilla Laggi from Cornell Cooperative Extension and Murillo Calvario from Holstein, Canada, as they discuss desirable traits for dairy cows milking in automatic milking systems. Victor, let's get started. The dairy industry faces a unique challenge to constantly improve dairy cows to meet future production demands. Cows have been selected for conformational traits to produce milk efficiently in conventional systems for a long time. However, with the rapid adoption of automated systems, questions about the best conformational and behavior traits for cows milked in the systems have been raised. To talk more about the interesting topic that I think will be more and more relevant over the next few years, I have today with me on the virtual coffee break with the Michigan State University Extension Dairy Team, Dr. Camila Laje from Cornell Cooperative Extension Southwest New York Team, and Murilo Carvalho from Hosting Canada. Thank you, Camilo. Thank you, Murilo, for being here today, for accepting my invitation to talk about this very timely topic for the dairy industry. And I'm very excited to have you both here today. Thank you, Victor, for the invite. Yeah, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Before we jump into the today's topic, uh, could you both talk a little bit uh, about your background and how you end up working with automated milk systems? I'm Murilo Carvalho. I'm Education Extension Specialist hosting Canada. Uh, grew up in Brazil, graduated as a vet there, came here, did my master's uh, more in repro, then started working for hosting Canada, first a classifier, now uh, as an Education Extension Specialist. Here in Canada, we have a lot of robots, about 20% of the farms uh, are robots. So, you know, you see that transition, it's something, it's normally a challenge that producers face. Uh, it's going through that transition. So they're always worried about, you know, how it's going to look like, what should I do, what should I shouldn't do. So it's always uh, interesting technology and things that can make uh, farms more efficient and make the life of the producers better. So you have seen quite a few different realities and different herds that went through that transition. And now working uh, at the office, not on farm as much anymore, we get to see, you know, the data that comes through and the challenges that producers face and uh, worry a little bit more on the on the background of, you know, what the, what are the cows that we want to breed, uh, what, are, what are the cows we want to milk in the future. So, yeah, that's, I guess, how involved. Yeah, so my name is Camilo Laje, and I am currently uh, a dairy extensionist for Cornell Cooperative Extension, Southwest New York team. I'm also from Brazil and went to vet school in Brazil and did my master and PhD back in Brazil uh, in with like a focus on animal science. And during my PhD, I came to the US, to Penn State and did a visiting scholar type of program, uh, more focused on nutrition. And during my postdoc, I had the opportunity to go to UC Davis and work with Dr. Fernando Ferreira on a project on economics of adopting AMS in large dairies. So we see, as Muriel said, a lot of like farms on the small or medium scale farms that are adopting AMS for a long time. But because of labor laws, it's becoming hard to find people to work at farms. More uh, dairy farmers on larger scales started like looking into how they could make changes in their system to become more labor efficient. And some of them started thinking about if AMS would work for them. 
So that's when we start doing this national survey here in the US to understand what the larger dairies that already did it, how they felt about it, if they felt this was like a good investment if, and if they think there is room for large dairies to adopt this type of technology as well. And when I moved here to New York to work as extension, I found a very similar situation on the labor issues with laws becoming more strict and the labor costs increasing. And I saw different size farms, bigger farms, small farms, and medium farms that are also very interested if they don't transition yet. So that's why as an extension person, I'm still involved with the AMS topic because there's a lot of people interested in this type of information. That's very interesting. You guys have a very diverse background, interesting background and a lot of experience. I really believe that we're going to have a very interesting conversation. So when I think about uh, traits of interest for the dairy cows and automated milk systems, I first think of conformational traits that would make it impossible a cow to be milked by the robots, like very long teats or very, very short teats or a bad teeth placement, mobility issues. So based on your experience and based on what's available in the literature, what are the calling rates observed in herds using automated milk systems uh, due to these problems? We don't have a lot of data available, but the research team at Guelph with Dr. Trevor DeVries, they did a survey on Canada. And one of the findings for the, this study is that the uh, cooling rates on farms that transitioned to, from conventional to robots were around 2%. But uh, this data comes from like a very different set of farms comparing to the US. And when we did our survey asking uh, larger dairies how like was the transition, we, we didn't actually got the number of like what was the cooling rate when they transitioned, but we asked them what was the cooling rate in the conventional system. And then now that they are milking cows in the robotic system, what they're seeing as their cooling rate, more like thinking about longevity. And it was very interesting to see that 58% of the farmers answered that they had cooling rates lower than 35% when they were milking in conventional. And now more than 80% of the farmers report lower rates than 35%. So we, we are seeing that people that start milking in the robots, they are seeing uh, more like less cooling rates. But with this cluster of farmers that we interviewed, it's kind of tricky because uh, more than half of the farms we interviewed still milk cows in the conventional parlor. So since they are large dairies, they didn't transition 100% or they let, or they kept the conventional parlor to milk, you know, different types of cows it's like hospital, mastitis, or like cows that didn't adapt to the system. So with, with, like, with this in mind, we can see that it would be tricky to kind of point out like a number of cooling rates for this system because they have this flexibility of like picking and choose the cows they could like transition to the uh, robot system in the, like in this first moment. Of course, like at some point they would have to get rid of the cow that didn't adapt if they are transitioning 100%. But within like this timeline, they could still milk cows that did not adapt at all, which I believe it's a different reality for Canadian farms that, you know, transition 100% and Murilo can talk more about it. For sure. I was going to mention the same study from Dr. DeVries here in Guelph. And I think I'm not aware of any other study that has looked into it. And I, I, I believe that rates are actually low, 
But we have, I think we have to take a grain of salt as well. First thing here in Canada, you have quota, you want to fill your quota, right? Mm-hmm. And I think nowadays with the robots that we have, the technology we have nowadays, they definitely improved a lot. And talking to producers that started up, uh, say, five to 10 years ago, definitely they had more trouble with the robots at that time. They had more trouble finding, uh, properly finding the teats and especially cows on later lactation and things like that would make a little bit more of a challenge. With the newer robots, that's definitely not as much a challenge. Uh, normally, they say, oh, the robots are finding 98, 99% of the, of the teats, no problem. But then again, we have to take a grain of salt because it may be the case that, you know, that cow takes a little bit longer to get milk. It's not as easy to milk a certain cow, but there is another cow that is not pregnant, right? So you keep the one that is, is not ideal to be milked in the robot, but she's not our most efficient cow, right? You're losing efficient there. You're leaving something on the table there. So I think that it goes back to, you know, what are the reasons that we're cooling your cow? And definitely you don't want the cow that is open at, I don't know, 250 days of milk and not milking as much. You you can get along with the one that is, you know, it's not ideal, but you you keep her. You, you won't cool her because of that, right? Whenever you have the opportunity, you may cool her in the future, but it won't be the sole and main reason, right? Unless, mm-hmm. you know, it, she can't be milked, which I think is rare nowadays with technology we have with the robots. So yeah, I think those two factors are, we have to, to think about that. Nowadays, the technology is way better. And, you know, if you can, you won't just call cows because of, uh, say, the teeth placement or some other problem that they have. At least in here in Canada, you want to fill your quota. You don't want to be under quota because you have to sell a couple of cows that they don't fit very well in the robot, right? So... A lot of farms say, yeah, there's a couple of cows, they transition, they, they're fine, but then they say, oh yeah, there's a couple of cows, we have to keep fetching, and you know, they're give a little bit more trouble in the robot, so we're not selling for now, but whenever we get an opportunity, they're the ones to go. That's very interesting that you are saying that, because another question we asked on the survey was, like, what were the reasons you used to cool cows, like, in the conventional uh, system, and now what are the reasons why you cook cows and of course like repro mastitis you know and health issues are the same for both systems so people are still worried about what's more important for them mm-hmm. but then reasons like milk speed or like behavior or other things that are more important on the AMS uh, a lot of farmers pointed these as like criteria to cool cows now and of course none of them use this criteria before so they are being more strict with the AMS cows but of course like you said just if they already got better on the other things and they can afford to do this type of decision. You know, of course, when they're breeding cows, uh, I mean, they're looking forward for have the best animal, like an animal that's going to fit better the system. And that's why we, we do breeding and selecting. But what are the main difference between the ideal cow for conventional parlor and for robots? Uh, is, if is there any market difference? And what would be the ideal cow for a robot? For me, they, they're the same. Uh, they should be the same. First thing that the person that's making the decision of breeding the cows is a, is this the same person that's milking the cows? Because I think that's one factor. Yeah. You know, you don't want to be in a Monday morning and that cow that takes forever to get milk screws up or you're, you're milking. It, it's not ideal. But then in a robot, that starts to be even more important, I think, right? 
So I think that's one factor we have to, to consider, but it's the same call, right? You want a call of ideal mm -hmm. heat placement, a good milking speed that's calm and doesn't give you trouble, right? Then again, good confirmation trade, uh, good other confirmation trades. I think that's valid for both. It's just in robots that especially important, I would say. The cows are not ideal. They get along a little bit easier in a conventional parlor. But when you are in the robot, they start to be a little bit more of a problem because they start taking way too long in the robot, right? And it's not that we're milking another 10, 20, 30 cows at the same time. There's just her taking the time in the robot, right? Start to limit more of your efficiency. I agree. In my experience uh, and what I've like been talking to people and, you know, learning about the robot, of course, I'm not an AMS specialist. I have been, you know, visiting farmers and talking to people and that's where like I'm kind of building my own thoughts on that and for me like my perception on the difference between a conventional parlor and an AMS is that when you have you know conventional parlor you will force everyone to get milk and you are gonna even if it's uh it's gonna take more time you are still gonna do it so for example that's like a classic thing that I comes to mind when I think about conventional parlor, especially like small dairies that we probably know all the cows by name, is that, you know, you always have these cows that choose one side of the parlor and they won't be milking in the other one or like they will take forever and then, you know, people will still milk them. They, you know, they will make it work. But when we move from a conventional parlor to a robot, now we have a machine that has a limit time that can milk cows. So it, you know, it's gonna work 24 hours besides the time that is cleaning. And in the perfect world, we would have cows getting in the robot every day, every, like all the time, and the robot would be milking cows 100% of the free time. And this would be the perfect efficient, you know, scenario. But what happens is that cows are not robots and i read this on the uh dairyland initiative article that they did just released that cows have their circadian rip in addition to being like herd animals so it's it's not like we are gonna have cows getting milked and getting into the robots the whole day so we are gonna still have this time that the robot will be you know idle because cows are doing other things and if we add to that behavior characteristics that make cows kind of disrupting the robot, you know, cycle, this will reduce a lot the efficiency. Like the things that we, that become more and more important on the robot, in addition to all the good characteristics we want in cows, is the behavior part. So we don't want cows that, you know, push other cows out of the robot. We don't want cows that want to be milked too much and then like just keep going or cows that don't want to be milked or like are afraid of other cows and stay in the end of the barn and you need to kind of catch her to be milked. So I feel like this type of thing become increasingly important as we move from like a conventional to a robot system. That's very true. Like the robot's going to be uh, busier than it used to be. And if you have a cow that's just stuck there, it's going to reduce a lot of deficiency and then just rub the other cows that are waiting. So I think that's uh, good characters that farmers should look into when selecting these cows and these animals. Talking about specifically the traits, uh, what should be the traits that a farm should prioritize when they are breeding cows for automated milk systems? Yeah, I think back on the behavior part, and Murilo can talk more about it. But when it comes to my mind, like the characteristics that people are already looking into cows for like conventional parlor that becomes more and more important on the robot, 
of course, it comes to mind other uh, confirmation and seats and, and in perfect world, a milk flow, cows could be milked very fast and deliver the most of the milk in the last visit. So we could put more cows, but of course this can come with downsides as mastitis. And we have seen some studies trying to do that and seeing that as you increase flow, you can also have more susceptible cows for mastitis and that's not a good thing. So we have to wait down if this is going to be a good thing and find this sweet spot. And also I feel like especially for pre-flow cows, uh, legs and feet are very important because now we are relying on 100% their willingness to go to the robot. So I feel like healthy cows that, you know, are willing to go to the robot, but especially that have healthy legs and feet that will take them there, it's going to become uh, important traits. And I don't know what Murillo thinks it's important, but that's for me, things that I've seen people talking more and more. I completely agree with you. I think a lot of times we underestimate a little bit. Here in Canada, we see a lot of farms going from a pie stall to a robot. Mm -hmm. So it's a huge difference. You know, the cows don't have to walk and then they realize, you know, a few of them, they have a lot of mobility issues. So I think that's definitely something uh, you have to watch for, uh, look for very mobile and cows that can you know, go around very, very easily. Related to the behavior, I think uh, here in Canada, we have a trait that uh, is milking temperament. So somehow you can select uh, to that. But I think more and more, uh, I wouldn't think, as you mentioned, we have the issue of the very high flow, a very high milking speed is not ideal because you make the cows more susceptible to mastitis, right? But then I think we have to think more on timing the robot by the amount of milk produced. I think priority should be similar to what you would do in a regular system, in a, in a parlor system, you know, you look for production, you look for components, you look for a decent confirmation, functional confirmation, but then definitely you have to watch a few traits a little bit more. I think it's not that a, the average cow won't have much problem, but when you get to the extremes, you know, a cow that very close teats, very short teats or very long teats as well. Uh, you don't want any of the extremes. You don't want the extremely wide teats uh, e either. Uh, another trait that we are seeing more and more is the other floor. We call it other floor here in Canada, but it's like the tilt of the other. So whenever the back teats are way too higher than the front teats, and especially when you have a shallow other on a like a first lactation cow that's not producing as much, is not as well developed other. If the teats are very distant one from each other, it makes more trouble to the robot, especially when the back ones are very high. But I think in the end, more and more, we're going to look at production by box time because that, that's the real efficiency, right? Uh, say a cow may be slow to milk, but if the robot gets to attach on her very quickly and she doesn't move too much, she's quiet, she's calm, you know, she goes there and get milk, she may be more ideal than a cow that milks technically quicker, has a higher flow, but not, not as ideal, say, other conformation or she moves too much and the robot takes longer to attach on her. So I think more and more we're going to be looking on that type of efficiency of production per uh, box time. And I know that a few countries in Europe, they have some uh, robot index uh, for selection and they are using traits like that. And also the adaptability of the cows in the robot. For example, they I think it's in the Netherlands, they're looking at uh, how much the cows go to the robot in the beginning of lactation, the middle of lactation, end of lactation. So a cow, 
she may take longer to adapt to the robot. So that's not ideal too, right? Because she won't be able to peak as high and then we're, we're missing production. We're going to look at different way uh, on the robots than we traditionally look on behavior and the factors that we, we select for. Yeah. And of course, like when we are talking about it, we, today on the podcast, we are focusing on selection and cows. But as we start milking more and more cows into the robot, I feel like we are learning more about what our, the cows' needs are. So I feel like in the same direction that we are trying to select the best cow for the robot, we are trying to improve management and design and all the things to make the robot compatible with the cows we have. So sometimes maybe we are creating unrealistic expectations on like how the cows would behave in this system because we are thinking what we want from them. But as far as we are learning more and more how they behave in this system, we are also making changes and modifications on how we have to manage them to get the best out of the cows we, we already have. So I think that's an important thing to point out because the way we are talking it, you know, people can ask, oh, yeah, but we are, it's going to take time to arrive there. But I think it's the two things happening at the same time. We are learning what are the best cow for the system and how the system can match the cows. And so I think moving forward, we are going to have more and more research and discussions on what are the milking permissions for each cow for the beginning of lactation, medium lactation and late lactation? Should we be allowing these cows to go the same amount of time? Or like, how can we change these things in order to have to take the most out of our most efficient cows and maybe taking out the less efficient and doing something to keep the efficiency of the box high, but respecting the cow's limit, I think. When you decide to use a robot to transition a farm, you know that you make investment. It's a costly investment. And most of the times, I mean, you need to be very efficient. And then those, all those behaviors and confirmation traits, they're going to play a role in how to achieve this efficiency in the system, right? And a good thing is we have a lot of data being collected all the time. Would be beneficial then to have this data obtained from AMS to calculate these breeding values. I don't know if you guys have experience with that. If you know that there are already companies selling um, bulls specific for the automatic milk systems, and if there are already breeding values for those characteristics. Well, the companies, at least here in North America, there isn't any trade specific for like an index for automatic milking systems. Uh, I know in Europe, there's a few and a few companies have, like they make available, like we have say Nemerit or we have LPI in Canada. Uh, there's a specific index for robot that changes the weights a little bit. The companies, they do have those, uh, they stamp that they use that uh, robot ready or robot uh, prone or adaptive mm -hmm. for robot, something like that. But it's not a breeding value, right? It's more like these bull probably breeds for characteristics that are desirable, but it's not something a measure that's given a value to a, a group of traits that are desirable. It's more, I would say, more subjective. Yeah, it's better than nothing, I would say. But I, I think we would see value on having a proper index that, you know, what's ideally economically for a, a robot farm. And mostly sure that we are on the way for that. Like we have, yeah. as I said, again, there's a lot of data and it makes it a little yeah. bit easier. Yeah, I think it's a matter of data ownership is always a challenge, but I think it's a matter of streamlining those those data and really the committee is the, the ones that, the people that make the decisions, they find out what is uh, what is needed, what is not needed and get feedback from the producers as well. 
and yeah, and go from there. Yeah, I believe that the amount of data we are collecting now will help for us to have like accuracy of the 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 characteristics and maybe you know moving forward it will help the people that work with genetics to understand better because of the amount of data. I think that's important. But as Murilo said, I don't have a lot of experience with data ownership and how people can, you know, use this, this data. So we will see how it goes moving forward from universities to produce these centralized databases that people can use to different purpose, which will make easier for, you know, the progress, because if each person starts doing it by its own, it's going to be much yep. more work, much more time and money. And I feel like this uh, combined effort will be very interesting and very uh, good to move their industry forward in this direction. Wrapping up our podcast and our talk, what would be a piece of advice that you need to give a farmer that are milking cows in automated milk systems when selecting breeding for their ideal cow? Well, for me, I think every time I think about a piece of advice to farmers, I have like a very hard time giving a broad piece of advice because each farm is unique and each farm has, you know, it's on cows and, you know, the things that they want their cows to be better at. So I think like they, each farm will have their individual goals. And I think we have a lot of technology available for people to achieve that goals. So I think my advice for farmers is work with your stakeholders, people that work for you to kind of list these goals and what's best for your farm and go seeing your cows and what are more important as of now, but where you want to be in the future to, you know, kind of make short and long-term goals and work with the technology available to achieve these goals the best way and, you know, the most economical, efficient way for your reality, your farm, regardless if you are a conventional farm or like a robotic farm. That's what I think. Yeah, I completely agree with Camila said. I think uh, we have a lot of data available. Use the data. I think that's a, a very important piece of advice. The AMS systems are amazing. They generate a ton of data but make sure you're using that data and making decisions based on that, not making decisions from someone show up in your farm and give you a piece of advice and just don't, don't make the decision based on, on that. Uh, use the information you have, uh, have a plan, have a goal, benchmark yourself, know where you are and know the, you know, identify which traits are limiting your cows, uh, where you can increase your efficiency. I know sometimes, I know a lot of farmers they say, oh, now I don't have to see my cows anymore because I'm in an AMS system. But, you know, sometimes you spend some time, look at the cows, see what, what you know, what is limiting their, your efficiency, what, what is making you not produce as much milk per day or per box time or whatever your metric. Work on, on, on making that, that more efficient. Work on improving that. And it can be some technology that you adopt. It may be a management that you change. Or it may be some breeding factor in your cows that is limiting yourself. But it's very important. Get the data, get the information, uh, have a plan, stick to the plan, make the decisions. It's going to pay off, that's for sure. Thank you, Camila and Murillo, for being here today, for talking to, to me about this very interesting topic. And I bet our listeners will have a lot to think about going forward. Yeah, thank you, Victor. It was a pleasure to be here. Uh, thank you, Victor. Thank you, Camila. Thank you, MSU, for the opportunity. Uh, very nice to connect with you and learn a little bit from the US as well. And 
yeah, we hope to I hope to collaborate more and more on these, and yeah, I guess that's the best way we can uh, help producers, help farmers. Thank you so much. I will add my thank you for the whole team as well for a very interesting episode. We look forward to learning more as this topic continues to evolve and more research gets generated. I'm sure we're going to have our guests back for another episode as we learn more. Join us next week for our Season 5 finale when educator John Laporte talks with Dr. Matt Gammons. They will center their discussion around input purchasing strategies to help dairy farms maximize their 2023 profits. It will be a great season finale coming up, and I hope you'll join us then. <laughs>